Hey everyone, Zach here. Uh, just wanted to quickly let you all know, in case you missed it, we launched Enrollify Chatter last week. Chatter is a feedback platform built to help enrollment marketers find the software, services, and resources that they need for success. It's your one-stop shop for reviews on things like CRMs, student information systems, application software, marketing agencies, branding agencies, higher education associations, and uh, much, much more. Um, we really designed Chatter to be a place where great decisions start and we want to build this into a truly robust resource so that all enrollment marketers can make the right purchasing decisions with their budgets um, so go ahead and head on over to enrollify.org forward slash chatter or just go to our website and click to chatter from there and leave your first review we're offering gift cards so ten dollar amazon gift cards for everyone that leaves a review so go ahead and if you leave a review uh, ping me with an email and we'll be happy to get you that gift card again we're really really excited about chatter and looking forward to it being a true resource for the industry so again once and and finally uh head on over to enrollify.org forward slash chatter and leave your first review Thanks. Hello and welcome to the Enrollify podcast. My name is Zach Buzicruz and I am the host of today's episode. And today I have the privilege of speaking with Cassandra Serino, who is a higher education advisor, speaker, and consultant. Her resume, we were just chatting about this uh, before this interview started, and her resume is arguably one of the most robust I've ever seen, and therefore it's sort of impossible to summarize it in you know con in, in the context of a brief introduction. So I'm really just going to let her introduce herself. But first of all, uh, welcome to the show, Cassandra. Hey, thanks for having me, Zach. I'm really excited to be here. So I would love Cassandra for you to just give our listeners a quick two to three minute sort of you know Cliff's Notes overview of your career to date, and we'll go from there. Sure. Definitely. So like, like Zach said, my name is Cassandra Serino. I am a college advisor um, and I've worked in higher education for pretty much my entire career. I uh, started in admissions and orientation as a student leader, was really involved in campus uh, when I was a student and just absolutely enjoyed the student experience. And after graduation, got the chance to work for my alma mater in our admissions department and then moved into student activities and finished my master's um, and went to work in advising at the community college level and loved it. My population of interest is low-income first-generation college students, and a lot of them started the community college, so that was great training for me. And then moved back to the university level in academic advising as well as housing. I ran a living learning community for a couple of years. That was super fun, and now I am a lead advisor for a university, and I have a squad of advisors and I that keep students on track basically. Uh, we let them know what they need to be taking and keeping them on track towards graduation. Uh, so yeah, that's that's pretty much my day job. But I do a few other things on the side as well. Yes. And, you know, your day job is, uh, for most people, ex exhausting and really, you know, two, if not three full-time jobs in and of itself. Talk to us a little bit yeah. about uh, uh, some of your side hustles. We're going to get into uh, higher ed social momentarily, but just give our listeners a yeah. little bit of a sense of, of, you know, all the various things that you're sort of experimenting with, doing the various ventures that you've, that you've started um, at this juncture. Yeah. So I'm the 
kind of person who functions better when I'm busy. And I have this terrible problem of taking on projects, uh, which is both a good and a bad thing. Um, so in addition to my, my job at the university where I'm an academic advisor, I also sit on the board of the National Institute of Social Media, and I work with faculty members uh, on curriculum design and um, strategizing for the National Institute, uh, as well as their credential for the social media strategist. Uh, so I do that. I also sit on the board of a local nonprofit, and we work to pipeline former foster youth into colleges and universities here in the state of Florida. And so we fundraise for that, and we work with educational institutions and partners to get these students from high school into a secondary credential. Um, 80% of students in foster care would say they like to go to college, they intend to, and they would like to see themselves there. But only about 2% nationwide will finish a secondary credential. So wow. we're working to move that number, yep, in Florida. And so there's a great need for it. So I do that. I am also the technology chair for the NACADA Commission, uh, Tech Commission. And so NACADA is the National Association for Academic Advisors. And we have these sub-commissions that advisors can belong to. And so I am the technology chair. I am super interested in using 21st century digital technologies to remove friction out of the student process uh, for colleges and universities. So how can we use technology to make the process of going to college easier and um, more efficient, really, for the staff and for the students? So I do that as well. Um, and then I am a college mentor with Big Brothers Big Sisters, and so I do a lot of work with them. Their college, their headquarters actually is here in Clearwater, and so I get to do a lot of trainings and speaking with their students, and it kind of aligns with my work with uh, low-income first-gen college kids. And then I also founded Higher Ed Social, so that has been taking up a lot of time recently as well. Fantastic. So talk to us uh, a little bit about, I think most of our listeners are familiar with Higher Ed Social, have stumbled upon it, They're, yeah. they may be group members already, but could you just give us a quick little overview for those who may not be familiar? What is Higher Ed Social? And then I really want to get in, into sort of the origin story. So what inspired you to, to start Higher Ed Social? Yeah, for sure. So Higher Ed Social is the largest worldwide community for social media managers who work in the higher education space. So at last count, we're at about seven and a half thousand members in 53 countries around the world. And it started as a Facebook group, kind of an alert uh, in 2015. I was working in higher ed and I had gotten connected to a lot of professional social media managers a few years earlier back in 2012 when I was a beta user for Pinterest and got to meet all of these really cool people that were on the cutting edge of this idea of social media as a field, as a professional way of communicating for a brand. And uh, in 2015, I was talking with some other brand professionals in a Facebook group, and somebody mentioned that they also worked at a university, and they were having trouble navigating the space because it's different from being on the corporate side. And I was like, yeah, I work for a university. That's kind of my whole background. Like, I got some people you should meet. And so I started a Facebook group just to kind of combine my friends from both worlds and uh, invited everyone that I knew to it on both sides and said, hey, you know, we're, we're in this together. I think we can learn from each other. You guys are bringing industry current, you know, credentials and that sort of thing. And I've got some friends who know higher ed. 
let's kind of have a virtual happy hour. And so that started it off in 2015. And we, we slowly attracted people over the next couple of years. Uh, what we noticed was a lot of folks in these higher ed roles were either coming from industry and didn't really understand higher ed as uh, a non-branded sort of corporate entity, or they were coming from higher ed and they were academics, but they were managing social as sort of those other duties as assigned. And so we really needed to learn from each other. And over the last almost, gosh, five years now, we have exploded. We have created trainings and webinars. We've had in-person events. We've coordinated with conferences. Uh, we've done in-real-life meetups with people. We've helped uh, professionals get jobs and change jobs and talk about credentials. And it's fantastic, actually. It's the, it's the best little clubhouse on the Internet. Uh, everybody is fantastic in sharing their time and their talents. And uh, I, they're some of the best people to be involved with, honestly. I love it, you know, and uh, as a relatively new member to Higher Ed Social, I can I can tell that there's certainly a charisma about members and just a a very um, a spirit of of giving and a, a willingness to share, yeah. which is which is really cool because you don't always see that in these sorts of yeah. of groups, right? A lot of it is self promotion, or you see a lot, you know, you see the same, you know, vendor partner posting, you know, on repeat, you know, every two days or something <laughs> like that. And you guys have something that, uh, at least, you know, uh, at face value seems really, really communal and, and actually helpful. Uh, what a novel idea. Um, yeah. <laughs> what I, uh, what I'd love to, you know, like 10 years ago, right? So the idea of, of colleges and universities having people that work for the institution with titles like social media manager, coordinator, you know, directors of social strategy, et cetera, that was, you know, unheard of. And as somebody who, you know, got into this space early, I'm curious, can you share from your perspective how you've seen social media grow as a discipline, as, as even a profession within the context of higher ed? Yeah, for sure. So universities are interesting because they, uh, by definition, tend to be very long-lived, slow-moving organizations. Uh, change does not come easy to higher ed. And, you know, 10 years ago, we're at, what, 2010, we had just had iPhones for about three years. So this idea of carrying around a tiny computer in your pocket was sort of becoming a real thing. And uh, the idea that you could look for information other than just on a laptop or a desktop. Um, and we were starting to see websites becoming really more critical and forefront. More newspapers were moving to an online platform. And with the smaller screens in our pocket, how were we reconfiguring how we were talking in this digital space? And so I think the people that probably hit first were the website people for colleges and universities. Um, which is which is interesting to say because most college and university websites are awful, actually, sure. um, and they're very difficult to navigate, and 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 that's uh, that that can be really problematic for both students and staff at those organizations. Uh, colleges really got started in the social media space as uh, an outcropping of student affairs, right? It was a way to promote events. Hmm. Hey, students are on Facebook. And we have this event we want them to come to. Let's post about it on a Facebook page. Let's post about it on a group. And back then, it used to be a lot easier to get reach, right? So if these people were following your Facebook page or they were in your Facebook campus group, 
they pretty much saw what you were posting uh, at, at least a higher rate than now that we have the Facebook algorithm. It's a little bit more challenging to reach people who follow you. And, but it was really this outcropping of student affairs. And then the big universities who are used to promoting their brands and used to having a central Marcom office uh, really were kind of those first movers to realize that any uh, your brand isn't just what you say it is. It is what your customers say it is. Hmm. And with higher ed especially, your students are your best advocates. They're your best marketers. And so those first universities really getting it out in front of the Marcom professionals and then moving from just a solely student affairs side of getting people to come to events, but also using it for enrollment management. As more students started to use the internet to look for colleges and university options, they're you know much more savvy. These are the, your late millennials, your early Gen Zs. Um, they wanted to do a lot of research online for their colleges and universities. And so this was a way to, at a very low cost, put some information out there about the college or university and, and try to show off what made that college or university special. Uh, the universities and schools that are doing this really well now are the ones who they have this sense of self, that they are a special place and they are recruiting students who are going to be a good fit for them. We'll jump right back into the conversation after a quick message from this episode's sponsor. You know that feeling you get when your boss tells you to go find a new CRM? Or when you're tasked with finding a handful of digital agencies to respond to your RFP? It's exciting, but also overwhelming. Where do you start? How do you know what system or service provider is the best fit for your school's unique context? Introducing Chatter, a feedback platform built to help enrollment marketers find the software, services, and resources they need for success. Chatter is your one-stop shop for reviews on CRMs, student information systems, application software, marketing agencies, online program managers, branding agencies, higher education associations, professional development resources, and much, much more. Our goal is to equip you with the information that you need to make the right purchasing decision for your enrollment management or marketing and communications team. Get started by reading reviews and writing one of your own and then invite your colleagues to do the same. Shatter, where great decisions start. So I'm curious if you, and maybe you don't have a, a story, a quick story that comes to mind here, but do you remember, or as you, you know, have maybe, maybe there's some of this, some of these stories that exist in the group. Do you remember when higher ed as a profession, people that were working in the context of social media promotion, you're saying it's born sort of out of, out of student affairs. Do you remember when it started creeping in more to the sort of enrollment management sphere? It seems, and again, maybe this is just as a, as an outsider uh, uh, here, it seems like now people who have these sorts of titles and are, are, are responsible for kind of crafting social messaging are crafting a lot of paid social messaging, which most of the time is used for enrollment management purposes, for student recruitment purposes. Do you remember like how that transition happened? And is there any sort of 
like when did you realize or, or you know maybe even people in your network start realizing that oh my gosh social media really is a space for lead gen essentially it is a space to introduce our brand to prospective students when did that transition happen I think really, yeah, that's a great question. So I think part of it came out of the recession as well, right? So in 2008, we had sort of this this massive economic recession in the United States, and all of a sudden, people were out of jobs. Hmm. And a lot of them went back in to retool. So colleges saw this giant bubble of students coming back. Um, And for them, it was uh, a lot of students finishing their bachelor's or going on for a graduate credential. And so we really saw this jump in online graduate certificates, online graduate programs. And I think for a lot of universities, it was sort of this untapped cash cow. Here is this population of students that are going to pay graduate level tuition rates. And we don't have to house them on campus. They don't use a lot of our services. This could be a really great way to increase our, our bottom line at a time when state appropriations were shrinking and um, people were out of work. And so really 2008, you saw a lot of um, really reliance on Google SEO, Google advertising, because remember back then people were still searching on desktops and laptops, right? We only got iPhones in 2007. And so this idea of a mobile sort of internet uh, was really a couple years off for that. So a lot of it came out of those SEO rankings and and trying to rank when someone was looking for MBA program near me, those universities really needed to be able to jump on it. And then really, once we started seeing the proliferation of smartphone handsets and they were more common in the average population, we really started to see those happen on social platforms, trying to reach those, you know, younger, uh, older millennials that maybe had a few years in their career. Now it's 2011, 2012, 2013, and they might want to go back for a graduate program. So how can we keep them connected to our university? These digital natives who've had Facebook since they were in college, those sort of things. And then, the platform creep, right? So your younger students, they're not on Facebook as as much of a population. And so having to add an Instagram, having to add a Twitter, and then you have to manage those accounts as well. So it's not just enough to be a voice out in the void. You have to use it strategically. And so it's it's just kind of snowballed its way since then. And uh, it'll be really exciting to see where it goes and and how this upcoming, you know, this, this COVID situation impacts everything. Because marketing is not like it was 10 or 15 years ago. It changes year to year, and we've got to be adaptive to that. I love that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, you know, I remember too, even as I've been, you know, working in, in the industry for about seven years now, and I remember just getting started working with a few different schools on some social campaigns and from, you know, organic social media, we used to still be able to rely on incredible, uh, conversion rates, right. From your organic social content. And, Seeing, and now, right now, it's like a piddly, what, you know, 1% of the people that even follow your page see your posts, if that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it's just, it's it's fascinating to see sort of how this transition has happened in social just in general and sort of the ramifications of how that's impacted the way in which higher ed uses social mm-hmm. media. Um, and I think yeah. like, you know, a lot of the people 
earlier on, we're primarily using it for student engagement for, you know, quote unquote, customer yep. engagement. And now it really has transitioned to this primary source, this primary channel for for lead gen, um, for, for prospect generation and, and the, you know, the initial establishing of relationships even, um, which yep. is, which is just absolutely fascinating. So this, so this sort of brings me to my next question, which is, you know, for years, uh, Marcom professionals and admissions folks at universities have, have been siloed. And again, this isn't true in, in every context, but in, in many contexts, this is true. Um, and across mm -hmm. the board, more and more as, you know, universities are, are restructuring as you've got, you know, uh, regime changes and whatnot, you're, mm -hmm. we're seeing this, you know, this consolidation of admissions and marketing departments kind of being housed under the same sort of leadership, mm -hmm. the same sort of roof. Can you speak as, you know, a professional in, in the space who knows a lot of people who work um, in Marcom and I imagine also in enrollment management, uh, can you speak mm -hmm. to sort of the pros and cons of this convergence from your vantage point? Yeah. So this, this is really interesting because as a as an industry, higher ed tends to be incredibly siloed, right? We are sort of that industrial revolutionary sort of business with all these multiple levels and checks and balances um, and sort of this idea that we would start flattening that hierarchy system out uh, is, has been slow going in higher ed. Um, but it's, it's really interesting because if you think of it from the student perspective, they're all university accounts. They don't understand that admissions is different from student activities, which is different than athletics. It's all just one university. Sure. And they, they don't see it as, you know, oh, this person is trying to get me to apply. It's just, well, I follow this university's Twitter account and they post funny memes. And I, I like that. And I think for uh, this is something to really capitalize on. And I think we see it lived out in the higher ed social group is these professionals are hungry to collaborate. They want to tell that university story about what makes them special, what makes them different, what are the awesome things their students are doing. And that naturally in and of itself is your enrollment management, right? What's good for business is good business. And if we can get everyone on the same page and break down these silos of, well, that's my content or that's my platform to manage, and we don't want to be salesy. We don't want to be, you know, too much, you know, student affairsy. There's room for all of it. Quite honestly, each side brings something to the table in terms of expertise. I need somebody from, you know, the IT side who can talk about the analytics and click-throughs and, and how things are organized. I need them to sit at the same table as that enrollment marketer who's saying, okay, here is how many students we would like to attract this year and how many students we want to have in our freshman class. But then I also need that student affairs person at the table to be able to say, here's what kind of student does well here. Sure. Here's the kind of student we serve well, and let's tell those stories. I think especially nowadays, people are advertised out. We, we go nose blind to advertisements. We're exposed to thousands and thousands of advertisements a day. And the things that resonate are the genuine human emotions and, and small rel uh, relatable moments. That's what they want to see. And honestly, that's the best part of college, right? If you choose your school based on where you fit because of those small, fantastic, you know, lollipop moments, that's going to do your marketing and excitement for you right? Especially in the U.S., people have this huge brand fealty 
to their college or university. And you can have, you know, 10 people on your MarCom team or five people on your enrollment management, but you probably have thousands of happy students and alums, and they're going to do your marketing for you. So if we have everybody at the table understanding that we're all bringing something into this and we're all on the same team, what's good for your office is going to be good for my office. And how can we show that to the prospective student and their family in a cohesive messaging uh, platform, then we all win, right? It makes it easy. Sure. Just quick question. Do you, uh, do you have any good examples? Like, are there people that come to mind, institutions that come to mind that you think do this really well? Um, yeah. So, so really thinking about what, like sort of this cohesive brand idea. So I am a huge fan of University of Michigan sort of social feed. Their, their Instagram, for example, is always on brand, right? The colors, the style of shots, the edits that are done on there. If you landed on their feed and you didn't know what school it was, you would probably figure out very quickly that it's, it's University of Michigan. And it's consistent across their website, across their different platforms, their Facebook, their Twitter, their Instagram. They're not posting the same thing, but you can clearly tell that there's thought and strategy behind it. And for a student, that is awesome because that means that there's clearly thought going into the sort of student experience and how we are visually representing that on the internet, right? Because for a student, what's on the website should be aligned with what I'm seeing on Instagram, what I'm seeing when I interact with my university. And so this idea that, you know, we have this purpose, we're going to live it, and we're going to operationalize it to create belonging and belief in a cohesive way that looks like we've all talked to each other. It, University of Michigan is one of my favorites to look at for that. Great. I will have to go follow them after this, uh, after this uh, <laughs> interview here and encourage our listeners to do the same. Steal all their great yeah, ideas. They're, <laughs> yeah, they're fantastic. And honestly, I am so like impressed by their ability to consistently be creative. That is a challenge to, to consistently hit things with the nail on the head and their team is rocking it. Now they do have a team behind it. Right. You've got to have professionals in this space. You've got to have graphic designers, videographers, copywriters and strategists that are all working and, and pulling in the same direction. You have to have those professionals on your team and and hire and promote them. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for the for the universities that have those resources, that's amazing. You're, you're reminding me, actually, I did an interview with uh, Corinne Myers, who I believe works on that team at University of Michigan mm -hmm. back uh, back at the AMA conference. So shout out to Corinne if you're if you're listening, yeah. um, you know, just taking a step back, you a moment ago, were talking about being advertised out. And one of the questions we get a lot from our listeners uh, concerns, you know, omni channel marketing and some of the, you know, marketing gurus of the world. Um, by the way, just side note, I hate that term. Um, and I think it's incredibly <laughs> over overused. And anytime I see somebody on LinkedIn, that's, you know, their byline or whatever it is says marketing guru, I immediately ignore their uh, connection request. Um, <laughs> but that being said, you know, one of the things that people say a lot is that you need to be everywhere all the time. And, you know, for many folks, this is seemingly impossible, uh, especially in higher ed due to, you know, lack of budget, staff, you know, other resources. In your opinion, 
opinion, where do you think enrollment marketers need to be today? And what are the sorts of, you know, channels and networks that, again, from your perspective are optional? Yeah. So like most things, I would say it depends, right? What are you trying to do and where is your audience? And then your platform needs to be aligned with that goal, right? And so, yes, it does take staff to, to manage and be present on all of these, but it, it, more than that, it takes strategy. And so it's easy to say, you know, Facebook is easy, right? It, it's great for SEO. Um, you, have, you have a huge portion of the world's population is on there, uh, but not everybody. And so uh, what, what, what are our goals and then where is our audience that's going to resonate with that. So if our goal is to raise brand awareness, Facebook is easy. Other platforms are going to require more time. Um, I, I really think uh, uni universities probably should have at least a brand page on Facebook. Um, some universities are creating in, intro student groups or parent groups on Facebook. It really depends on your goals. Do you want to engage parents and families in that way? Do you have the bandwidth to manage it? Um, do you want to use a, an incoming Facebook group for your students? Or is there another platform that's going to work just as well and require less time? I've been super impressed with the Zimi community. Um, and they're an organization that I've been following since they used to be a, a portfolio platform for high school students applying to college. But now it's a way for incoming students to connect not only with each other, but the schools that they're looking at. And if you're on that channel, you might not need an entry Facebook group for those students. Um, I, I really like Twitter as a, as a quick connection for the students and the university, but understand that it is hugely customer service focused and it's 24 seven. So if you don't have the, the, ability to do it well, uh, proceed with caution, right? You're going to get people complaining about parking. You're going to get people complaining about snow. That's what's going to be there. Um, Instagram is great for showcasing your campus life for your college or university to current and prospective students, but not everybody's department needs a, a, an Instagram platform. Parking and services probably doesn't need an Instagram platform. Tiny department level accounts that are hard to staff with content probably don't need, you know, their own individual piece of that platform. Um, not everybody needs TikTok just because it's shiny and new does not mean we need to be there. Um, I think LinkedIn is definitely underutilized as a platform. It's a little bit clunky, but they're evolving it. But if we are trying to say that our university is going to impact your life and as an alumni, here's what you're going to be able to do after being educated by us, we really could be leveraging LinkedIn a little bit more, uh, both to connect with our alumni and where they're going, but also for our current students to find mentors and uh, connect with those who have gone before them from their school. Um, and then keeping your, keeping your finger on the pulse of what is being said about your school, uh, Reddit is great for that. Even if you're not you know, having an account on Reddit, you want to know what people are saying about you. So setting up Google alerts, 
monitoring those platforms. The internet can be an angry, angry place sometimes, uh, but there are nuggets of gold that are out there and you need to know what your students, your families, your, your staff, your faculty are saying about you to be able to be involved in those conversations. If you are not there, those conversations are still happening. You're just clueless to it. And so uh, we have to know what the goal is and then align the platform with that goal. And we don't need to be everywhere at once. Um, definitely maybe jump on and, and claim your handle so nobody else claims your username, but you don't necessarily need to have every platform everywhere for every department. That's just not manageable and it's, it's not going to be good business. Couldn't agree more. And, you know, one of the things that I think people don't even necessarily realize, but is sort of uh, probably hurts their brand more than more than they're aware of is when they go and they launch an Instagram account for parking, you know, and they go and they launch a Facebook page that's specific for this program or this this faculty member and um, and then they let it sit, right? And so as a prospective student, mm-hmm. right, when you go and you look that up and you find it, if the last post was from two years ago, what is that, yep. what message, what does that send you as a prospective student? Like what, yeah. what sort of messaging does that yeah. send? Oh, wow. You know, maybe this, you know, innovative program isn't so innovative or, you know, maybe they're not really doing that many cool things if they yep. haven't touched their Facebook page in two years. So I love what you said about yep. needing to be really, really intentional, identify the goal, identify the strategy before deciding which, which networks, which platforms, et cetera. So exactly. Outdated content looks worse than no content Yes, because it, it shows you don't care. Yes. Yes. And if, if any, any sort of consumer product, made it seem like the consumer isn't cared about by the brand, that's the kiss of death, right? Yep. And that's that's the, that's the first thing I remember learning uh, from some of these big social media brand people was, if you're going to do it, you got to do it well. Otherwise, shut it down, clean it out, and, and get it off the internet because you want to make sure that you're putting the best foot forward and you're representing yourself well. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Uh- yeah, couldn't agree more there. So I've got a, a fun little exercise uh, slash test for you. Um, yeah. If you had $10,000 to spend on a social campaign right now, right, we're just for listeners who might be listening to this in the way future, we're in the middle of the COVID-19 uh, crisis. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, you have $10,000 to spend right now. How would you spend it and what specifically would the campaign be about? And let's just assume that you're working for a college who has decided to push back their enrollment decision deadline to June 1 and it's, you know, April 21st, I think it is uh, today. So how would you spend that money? Yeah. So for this sort of thing, I would uh, definitely going to be leaning on the analytics really heavy. And as a university, do we have a way to connect our admitted students to their social profile? So audience, audience designation, right? Do we have that in and of itself? If we don't have that, then we're just throwing money into the void and we're shouting on the internet, which is, which is (laughs) so frustrating that so many people do that. Um, But if we have, we have the emails, for these admitted students, these admitted families, have we leveraged that already? If we haven't, that's the first place to start. And then putting ourselves in the perspective of that incoming student and their family, what are they worried about right now? And how can I solve that problem as my college or university? And I may not necessarily have all the answers yet. I don't know if my students are moving back. I don't know about 
you know, deposit deadlines and when they're going to move to campus. I don't know any of that yet. But assuming I did, right, and, and we're going to work from the, the, the perspective that the world is going to be put back together by August and we're going to be able to come to campus and it's going to be wonderful, I'm going to talk a lot about um, creating content that, that assuages those fears, hmm. right? That these students are making a good choice by choosing XYZ University, that we care deeply about our students. And here's how we have managed what, how we're doing business in this time, right? We're, we're not going to necessarily promote our lazy river. We might promote our faculty. We might promote our students who are getting great jobs. Or our students that are on the front line of this epidemic um, having great gains in sort of the healthcare, the healthcare industry. So how are we showing what we do well, but also meeting people where they are in a non-salesy way, right? No decision is made entirely rationally. And so how can I adjust the emotional disposition towards the brand to give us an advantage, even when our product is outfeatured or outpriced by competitors, hmm. right? You, people have a lot of schools that they're looking at. How can I become more dependent on emotional ties and get them to feel this love and this bond for our school that's going to make them put that deposit down and, and to move forward with security saying, I'm excited to go to XYZ University because it's going to change my life. I feel comfortable there. It aligns with my values. And I can see that by the content that that organization is pushing out to me specifically. And so it's probably less on putting money behind a paid advertisement on Facebook because maybe our students aren't necessarily there. And it might be more on leveraging an outside firm or company to craft those audiences or to upscale and be able to connect with students on a platform like Zimi or uh, to level up our video capabilities by buying some technology. Those are going to pay future dividends rather than just giving Facebook some money for right now. Fantastic. I love that. that and no, it, yeah. absolutely. And I think like one of the things that just just stuck out to me in particular about what you shared is designing a campaign specifically about alumni that are doing really cool things right now. And specifically, you know, if you've got a nursing program, you know, even especially at the graduate level for people that are, are in gem yep. and listening to this, it's like, how can you, you know, design a, a quick campaign around your students who really are on the front lines here and, you know, see if any, you know, you have to be careful and do this in a way that isn't manipulative and is, is truly authentic. But I think that that yeah. is a fantastic idea um that people should totally take advantage of um so thanks for that yeah. <laughs> um and yeah go and ahead go ahead easy. it's easy right these are things that people are passionate and excited about these are your faculty who have given their lives to be connected in this field or in this space if you can tap into that genuine passion and excitement that is what translates in your marketing Right. Because people want to connect on the real and the human and the mundane. And so if I am watching someone talk about how they are so passionate about helping others and, you know, this is where they found those things, that's inspiring for a prospective student, whether or not they're a nursing major or not. But if it looks like here's a place where this other person went to discover their excitement and what they're passionate about and they seem really happy with their decision, I'm going to be happy too. And so following that line of thought backwards into what it means for the student on the other side, 
takes it from being an advertisement that says, please come to XYZ University and give us some money to we're a place that changes lives. Who wouldn't want to be connected to that? Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I think is so this is really, really underutilized opportunity. And it's not that, mm-hmm. as you're saying, it's not that hard to do, but the people that do it well are the ones that, that win here is like, you know, for, for D to C brands and even lots of B2B companies, right? They have to create stories to sell their product. Yep. You're in higher yeah. ed, right? Like <laughs> you, this, you don't have to create anything. It, all the stories are real. They're genuine, they're authentic, and they're right in front of you. It's really just about figuring out how to communicate and leverage that story well but it's I Mm -hmm. I always you know one of the things that I talk to people about all the time is like especially when folks are complaining about their their marketing campaigns or uh, you know not knowing what to post on social it's like when's the last time you picked up the phone and you know or walked outside your office and talked to a student right the the Mm -hmm. stories are endless right you're literally living in a in most contexts uh, not when you're uh, dealing with COVID-19 but you're in a pool of of people that have really unique experiences and stories that are probably like or or at least can be you know it's somewhat related to the stories of other people that are prospective students and so how do you you don't have to create anything you just got to have to, you have to go listen. You got to, you know, write some notes, take some photos, you know, pop out the yep. video camera and, and then share that. That's exactly it. Honestly, that is, that is everything. Get out of your office and go see what's happening on campus. I love it. Okay. I've got uh, two final questions for you. Um, one, and this is kind of about uh, looking out again at, at for, for many of us, right? We're struggling with uh, what our budgets will be like next year. There's just tons of uncertainty right now. Um, so all that mm-hmm. said, um, when you, if you think about right from your experience, everything that you've learned since uh, founding Higher Ed Social, even before that, uh, just you know uh, the back and forth that happens in the community, uh, the the conversations that you have with folks that you really respect in the industry, um, you know, where do you think higher ed social folks will be spending their budget? Uh, you know, what channels or or networks? What will what will that budget sort of you know breakdown look like? And what do you think? from a content standpoint, folks will be sharing over the next, let's just say like five years. So in other words, to summarize yeah. that, that long question, right? Where do you think social, the, the social media coordinators in 2025, uh, what are they going to be spending their time and money and effort doing? Definitely. Definitely. I think, I think a lot of what we're going to see in the next couple of years is going to be scaling back and, creating efficiencies within what we're doing. I think we, we've we kind of hit the peak number of social accounts that a school needs to have, and they're really going to need to pare those down. Uh, streamline the process, make it easier for students and prospective students to get the information that they need, and clear out some of the bloat. I think that's going to help a lot, right? Schools are going to scale things back. That might be cutting channels. That might be cutting staff. And now it's going to be a great time in this next year to snap up some fantastic industry talent that wouldn't necessarily otherwise be on the market hmm. and probably to get them at a pretty decent rate. And you're adding colleagues to your roster that are going to become loyal to your institution, right? We're seeing, we're seeing student, people getting laid off from, from their college or university. And we're going to see those fantastic rock stars that are now loose on the market hopefully get snapped up by institutions that are interested in sort of pivoting and and capitalizing on that. I think we're going to see 
um, more video content, I think we're going to see a greater push in accessibility and making sure that our content that we create is accessible among other platforms. And I think we're going to see a lot of shift in our website. People have been asking for a long time for customizable, personalized content as needed. I think we're going to see an influx in universities really expanding that sort of footprint on their web spaces, leveling up the, the speed of their website, clearing out some of the bulk, clearing out some of the external things that are weighing them down to become a bit more streamlined. I think we're probably going to see uh, our younger generations moving a bit out of, you know, sort of the Facebook marketplace as it, as it were, right? Young people are always looking for their privacy. So they're going to go to the platforms where their parents are not. And we're going to see that continue to shift. Is that going to stay with Instagram? Is that going to pivot back to Snapchat? What really is the purpose of TikTok? Right. So these these sort of flash in the pan uh, platforms are going to come and go. I think we're going to see more of that. But I think our the core root of it is our students and our prospective students want the ability to connect with each other in real, meaningful, relatable ways. And they want technology and the ability to do so quickly and easily, which as an industry higher ed is not always embraced. Um, I think we have a great chance to talk to the public about the value of higher education, um, which I think has taken a hit in the last couple of years, whether real or imagined, um, to really reframing that narrative and talking about what it is that we do as a transformable educational institution and how this is going to impact your lives. Um, and then clearing out the bulk to get out of the way so that people can do that. Um, ad spend, I think we're gonna we're gonna see it drop, right? Nobody I've ever met has said that they have enough staff or enough budget to do what they want to do. But we do have plenty of budget. It's just maybe reallocated into weird places. And so, how can we pull that together? How can we get all of our staff running in the same direction to maximize the money that we are putting into it? Um, I think universities that can do that are going to be well positioned to go forward when platforms change, when sentiment changes, when state appropriations change. I think we're going to see a lot of that. Um, I do think we're going to see some university closures. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of the small private non-selectives are going to really struggle. I've seen um, Projections as high as 30% of those smaller schools that are going to close within the next 10 to 15 years, both due to, you know, global ramifications, smaller population of, you know, young people coming of age that are going to go to college. So there's going to be a lot of changes and a lot of anxiety um, around this. I can definitely see enrollment marketers panicking a little bit. Um, but at the end of the day, if we're good at what we do and we, we try to push for efficiencies and everything, we can get through this. You know, Oxford's been around, what, six, seven hundred years. We, we can make this happen. Fantastic. Now, I, that, I can't even summarize that. That was all so well summarized. And I think that <laughs> a couple of just quick comments too, to, to drive home for people is I love what you just said about alignment. And I think that that's really the opportunity for for folks who are listening who feel defeated or feel like they don't have the resources that they need to meet their enrollment numbers or, you know, their department is understaffed and, you know, they don't have the budget that they need to be able to actually perform in the way.
way that they're being asked to perform. I think that the real opportunity is is going back to what you were saying earlier is like how think creatively about breaking down silos like what does it look like yep. like how could you champion an initiative to pull budget across departments together and design a campaign or multiple campaigns that it, it, you know in in effect help you know raise all ships that that basically help yep. everyone meet their objectives and i think i i really do think that at the end of the day a lot of people that work in this space they're team players right you know people are territorial oh. understandably but like at the same at the same you know uh at the end of the day right everyone's hurting everyone's struggling and it just takes sort of you know a few different people to to wake up and say okay how do we solve this problem how do we get enough resources to move the needle and i think that that's yep. only going to come through the consolidation of resources yes and it's going to be forced right we're going to we're yeah. going to have to step out of our step out of our comfort zone but honestly if you think about it as an organization no other business has so many freaking smart people working for them than a college or a university you absolutely you've got phds in english hanging out in your in your building you want people with cool sciencey things? You got them by the truckload. You got these brilliant, brilliant people. How can you tell their story, right? You don't necessarily need to have the best of everybody on your Marcom team. You have amazing people on your campus. Therefore, you all work for the same team. Tap those people. I love it. I love it. Wow. Fantastic. Hopefully, if, if there's any, you know, presidents or or VPs listening in right now, they should uh, they should yeah. hire you to come out and just give a pump up speech. But seriously, like this is this is, you know, people talk about, you know, higher ed being bureaucratic and being slow. And, you know, and those, there's certainly, you know, true elements to to all of that. But at the same time, it's like I do feel like we're living through a moment where higher ed's always behind, you know, the, the, the for profit world. Mm -hmm. But like we're coming to yep. terms with the fact that, oh, shoot, you know, what is our real value proposition? Right. Uh, as students mm -hmm. consider alternatives, you know, as students seriously think about maybe not going to college, right, as, as things yep. like ROI yep. come into question, it's going to take a concerted effort, not just from the faculty, not just from the leadership, but from all parties to work together to attract, you know, engage and ultimately delight new students. And so I yeah. think that the people that can figure out how to be team players, just selfishly, even yep. as an individual, like you're going to be marketable for years to come if you want to stay in the space. Um, and how, yep. do, how do you start? <laughs> so that, that brings me to my, my final question for you, which is really you know, just for people who are listening to the show today, who are in social media, or, you know, they maybe they work in Marcom, um, and social media is just one of the things that they do, if they want to stay marketable, right, if they want to ensure that they're continuing to develop their skills, you know, we're about to, you know, we're already in, in many, in many cases, in, in many ways, in a recession. Um, and yeah. as you mentioned earlier, right, you've got top talent that might now be looking for jobs. Um, so yep. how, how do I as a a professional in in social media in a higher ed context how do i ensure that i keep my skills sharp what sort of resources would you recommend that i i tap into definitely so there is so much out there i would say start with the easy things start with the free things do facebook blueprint trainings do google analytics trainings take hubspot's trainings or hootsuite's trainings all of these very low cost platform specific things that are that are deeply technical take all of those add them to your resume they are going to help you i can't tell you how many questions we get in higher ed social about analytics about reporting about um, tracking and and google and the facebook algorithm and 
Facebook ads manager, if you can put those skills on your resume, you're going to be head and shoulders above everybody else that's not willing to do that individualized training. So that would be step one. Step two, surround yourself with people who are smarter than you. That has been my life mantra. Um, come and join us in higher ed social. Come learn from what University of Michigan is putting out. Come learn from what Valdosta State is doing for student retention and success. Come learn from what Texas Tech is doing uh, in regards to building community in their, on their campuses. Um, you, can't, you can't know everything. And so how can we share the knowledge? Um, look at what we're doing at the National Institute of Social Media. Our credential training is hands down one of the best I've ever seen. Um, and I can say that as someone who did not help write the curriculum, it is fantastic. Um, I thought going into it that I knew a lot about social media and I got so much out of it. Um, so start there. And then read. Read as much as you can and read stuff from outside of higher ed. I'm a huge fan of Jim Collins's work, Good to Great, and I'm currently rereading Great by Choice. Great by Choice, honestly, right now has resonated with me so much because he talks about how these brands leverage uncertainty to come out 10 times stronger. Absolutely fantastic. Um, I was just at the Cult Gathering Conference in Banff, Canada in February, and I got to hear Douglas Atkin from Airbnb speak, and he talks about the culting of brands. Absolutely blew my mind. Go on Amazon right now and get that book. Douglas is fantastic. Read everything he has to say. Um, Seth Godin's book, Tribes, Why You Need to Lead Us absolutely fantastic to understand how people think and how they connect in sort of a community and what makes people tick. Fantastic. Um, also, I'm a huge fan of Dan Heath um, and Chip Heath's book, Switch, How to Change When Change is Hard. I think that's one of the hardest problems we have in higher ed. We get a bad rap for not wanting to move our cheese. And Switch is absolutely fantastic. I read it as part of my MBA. I wish I have all my staff read it. It's fantastic. It talks about how to get folks to change in terms of the rider, the elephant, and the path. Uh, so for anybody who's read that, it is fantastic. Go read it. And then um, last year, I, I read um, The Like Switch. Uh, it's actually a book by an ex-FBI agent, Jack Schaefer. And one of my professional mentors, Dr. Carlin, who I'm pretty sure I've talked about before, but Dr. Carlin's is amazing. And it talks about how to influence, attract, and win people over. And not in like a weird sort of creeper way, but in a how do you connect with genuine human emotion to other humans? That is not something that comes naturally to a lot of people. Um, you meet those people that have that sort of gift of gab and connect really easily. And then the rest of us just don't do that very well. And so the like switch was absolutely fantastic in, in understanding the psychology behind all of that. So I would say if you're looking to sharpen your skills first as a social media strategist, first, the tech side, yeah, you need to understand how to log in and turn your microphone on and your cameras and understand how the algorithm works. But also you have to know how to be social and that involves connecting with people. And so invest in that space as well. So while you're social distancing, you're having your coffee in the morning, read, <laughs> read something and then talk to people about it. What can you understand and learn from the people who are other doing work in the other spaces? 
Cassandra, thank you very, very much for that. No, thank you for all of the the wisdom that you shared today. I think that there are there's just a plethora of of gold nuggets here for for our listeners, and um, I really appreciate the work that you do. I really am, am thankful for uh, your your dedication to building not just social media as a as a profession, but also figuring out creative ways to help people that work in higher ed perfect their skills and increase their understanding, um, whether on, again, on the analytics side of things or on the creative side of things, what you all are doing at higher ed social is incredible. And, you know, for any of our listeners who are not already a part of this group or are following them on a wide variety of channels and networks, please go ahead and and just Google them. You'll find them there. Um, thank you so much for your time and I look forward to staying connected. This is fantastic. Thank you so much. This has been a a lot of fun and Excited to to see where we go from here. Thanks, Zach. If you are an enrollment marketer working in marketing and communications or enrollment management and would be willing to be interviewed on the podcast, or if you have an idea for a topic that you'd like to hear covered on the podcast, please reach out directly to me at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at Enrollify.org. We sincerely look forward to working with you to make Enrollify the most trusted, go-to, digital resource for enrollment marketers out there.